All right, man. Episode three, Tweet Talk, Raphael and Charles. We are the sauce. It's lit, and we are the sauce. Damn right. <laughs> All right, so what are we going to talk about this week? So, had a post today about, let's see, everyone who goes to college should be pursuing a degree in a field that makes mm. sense financially. That's my passion. For the longest time, I was going on a rant about people getting degrees in bullshit. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, it's the same argument. So it's one thing to say, like, don't get a degree in bullshit. It's another to say, get a degree in the right thing. And I think people are starting to realize that <clears throat> because there's people out there who have like debt on a useless degree that's not paying them any money. What I've also found is I have a lot of friends who got degrees, who have debt, but their career has continued to level up. So now they're being promoted to to a controller. They're being promoted to directors. And so there's what a lot of people will say is don't go to college because you got to take on $40,000 in loans to make $40,000. Well, yeah, that's true the first year that you get out of college or the second year, the third year. But what about year 10? Right. What about year 15? when your salary is doubled and tripled. And not only that, it's actually probably done so in pace with inflation. And so what people don't realize is like college sets you on the path to greatness. College doesn't just land you in greatness. And so for me, I've always lived by the creed. Well, actually, I haven't always lived by this. But, um, well, I believe that successful people are professionals and entrepreneurs. Um, I just happen to be both. I'm both a professional and an entrepreneur. But when I was a a young lad and I got out of school and I had a degree in finance, but I didn't necessarily have a profession, I realized that I needed a profession because if you have a profession, you're never jobless. You might not have employment, but you still have income. So if you have a law degree, if you are an accountant, if you are even a doctor, anything that you can kind of launch out and build a business on. Like I always say, a degree is a business and businesses make 10 times the money as your job. So you got to have a degree that allows you to get into a business. And quite honestly, that's really any degree, but there's certain jobs that don't pay as much for certain degrees. So if you have a degree in gender studies, if you have a degree in African-American studies, if you have a degree in history, if you have a degree in psychology, communication, all these degrees that don't put you on the path towards actual greatness, you're wasting your money and you're wasting your time. And I've been telling people this, my undergrad degree is in finance. And quite honestly, my undergrad degree is the reason for all this shit. My undergrad degree is the reason why Thai capital exists. My law degree is the reason why Thai consulting exists. My MBA is the reason why Thai acquisitions exist. Each degree is a business for me, but it also is a job. And so you get to play both sides of the fence when you have that. And so what frustrates me is that you have a lot of people who they're just not being productive. They're not challenging themselves. They're not hopping into difficult situations. They just want to do the easiest path, the least path, the least resistance. And that's what you get when you get a degree that is, is useless. And I think that is actually like, an example of a a bigger picture. So the problem with that is that if you live life going with the path of least resistance, you might do some stuff, but you're not actually making progress. You're just spinning your wheels. There's a lot of people who are just spinning their wheels thinking that they're going to get progress. And then five, 10 years from now, they don't have any progress. And they're like, oh man, college is a scam. Like, no, bro, getting a degree in bullshit is a scam. If you would have got a degree in engineering, you wouldn't be saying it's a scam. You'd be living your best life. If you would have got a degree in nursing, you'd be living your best life. If you would have got a degree in accounting, you'd be living your best life. So it's not that college is a scam. It's just being lame is a scam. And that is true, whether it's college or it's raising your kids and being a man and staying with the woman that you married, whether it's going to your job and actually working and being productive and being helpful 
or starting a business, like these small things are amplified across the culture. If you're lame in one area, you're like lame in all areas. And so we need to create a culture of people who are just like willing to do the hard shit, period. Whether it's studying math or whether it's working an extra shift at work so you can take your kids to Disneyland. That's where we need to be. We need to dwell in the land of the hard shit. I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, when you said that, that was the first time I heard anybody with that perspective. Because usually people say, um, if the degree isn't going to get you a job, it pays you the same amount that your loan is for, then it's a waste of time. I never thought about it in like uh, future promotions and stuff like that. And quite honestly, most of us can't. Because a lot of us are first year college educated, man. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a problem. I don't, I mean, you, you got to take your circumstances as your circumstances, but you're right. Most people, they've come up with this rule that's, oh, if your exit salary isn't graded to your student loans, don't go to college. That's bullshit. I walk past people in downtown LA every day who have no skills. And so they work a security job forever, or they have no skills. And so they drive a bus forever and they retire as a bus driver like be an engineer be a lawyer be a doctor be a professor like it i feel like for me i think the reason why i have a different perspective on all this stuff is because my mom took out student loans to become a cpa and her salary now for first and foremost all their undergrad loans are paid off and they were paid off through real estate my mom, she bought a house. Um, she bought her first house. She bought, it was a HUD home. And a HUD home is basically an FHA home that was foreclosed on. And so my mom bought a home out of foreclosure. She went in. She didn't even know what she was doing at the time. And we didn't know what we were doing either. We just bought this house. It's so crazy because it was a distressed property. She didn't even know she was walking into a living flip. She just knew she was tired of renting. Mm-hmm. And so my mom bought this house. It was a HUD home. The person who had it before was pissed off because they were losing their home. So they like put all this trash inside of the, the fireplace and they like wow. burned the fireplace. And um, when we were on there, like the, the house had been vacant for some time. So like some cats are running around the house. And so like the carpet smelled like pee and the carpet kind of had fleas in it. And so like, but we were just living in the house, just living. We didn't know any better. And so like over time, she put new carpet in there. She put new 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 flooring in there she upgraded the bathroom painted the walls and it, it was a live-in flip and when she sold the house she sold the house for like 60 grand more than what she paid for it and she took all that money and just swooped out her student loans so she became a cpa for free and now she makes six figures but imagine if she wouldn't have done that because her starting salary didn't wasn't greater than her student loans she would still be doing nothing and that's the thing is like, what's the opposite? Do nothing or be great. And so people would rather do nothing because they're like, well, I looked at the numbers and the numbers told me that since it's going to cost me 50000 to get this degree and me, blah, 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 like I'm not going to do it. I'm all about making a way, period. So if you're going to make a way and you're going to work and make 40 while you're on the path to making 80, 90, 100,000, 120, or you're going to make a way through real estate or you're going to make a way whatever but i would never tell people to be uneducated because i feel like college is more important than just the degree college is more important than just what you make on your job college is more important than just the numbers student loans are getting out of hand 100 i agree i think it's nuts and i think a lot of it is because the federal government got involved and that's why i think the federal government should stay out of some shit but um I, I also think that the trajectory of your career is going to take care of all that stuff. And if people would just think instead of finding ways to not do stuff, it's very easy to find ways to not do stuff. Cause that's all that statement was saying. The statement is basically saying, don't go to college because on average, you're not going to be able to find a job that's going to pay you more than what your loans are. And that is just comforting for losers. We do a lot of comforting for losers. We do a lot of stuff that's like, Oh, well, you know, college ain't for everybody. Oh, you know, marriage ain't for everybody. Oh, you know, buying a home ain't for everybody. Like, F that. That is for everybody. That's for all of us. 
Because if you look at those and the data that follows getting a degree, getting married, buying a house, raising your children, success follows doing all that stuff. But we just give everybody a cop out and you look up and we got 85% single family homes. We got 85% of us not going to college. We got 85% of us uh, getting divorced or whatever those stats are. So we got to stop giving ourselves scapegoats to lose. I hear you. It's like the other tweet was, uh, too often we make decisions with too short term of a focus. 100%. Yeah, I keep coming back. that money right now. Yeah, and I keep coming back to that same tweet from before. Generational wealth requires generational thinking. But uh, you said today, too, focus on your profession and let money managers manage your money. I feel like I have to cite my source on that. And that source is it's the book The University of Success by Augmentino. Um, I've also read a similar quote in the book. I want to say it's either the, the money code or the investment code. But when I see something, if I say something, there's usually a source. If I say something, there's always a source behind it. I'm constantly on the prowl for more education, for more information to do life better. And one of the things that I saw and the things that I've experienced, and I I think the premise of this statement is I was talking to one of the attorneys in the firm and I was telling him what I was doing with the stock market and what I was doing in real estate. And he made the comment. He said, I think Mm -hmm. I should just give you my money and let you in. (laughs) And I was like, I think that'll be a very smart decision on your part, on your part. And I say that because if you are an engineer, if you are whatever you are, it would behoove you to focus on be the best that. Be the best engineer. Be the best doctor. Be the best manager. Be the best supervisor. And go all in on that. Go 10x on that. Go to conferences, read books, listen to podcasts on that. And let the people who listen to podcasts read the books and go to conferences on money, managing money, manage your money. I'm not telling you to be ignorant, but I'm telling you to lean on experts. Um, we have the investment club. The investment club did 47%. And right now it's at about flat. But there's people who will come in the investment club and they'll say, oh, I thought we was going to be rich by now. I thought we was going to be doing X amount of return on investments. I was like, let's go see what you do as you invest your money because likely you don't have the same experience, education, exposure. You're probably just guessing, listening to whatever. So I feel like in a functioning society, we have people who aren't trying to be all things. It was so deep that in the Jewish community, you were born into an industry. You were the gold man. You were Ari Gold. You were Donald Sterling. You were Adam Silver. They already told you. You were this shoemaker. They already told you what industry you're in. We have a community of everybody trying to like say, well, I'm a shoemaker now because shoemakers are getting money. Like, no, bro. You focus on getting money in your lane and let somebody else get money in their lane. And it's unhealthy. You can't have everybody sees Chris making money selling watches, so they got to sell watches. I've seen so many watch companies pop up. I'm like, let him have his thing. Erica's making money doing trucking, so now everybody wants to get into trucking. Like, let her do her trucking. I'm gonna stay doing what I'm doing because you cannot have a functioning community with everybody competing to do the, the same thing. And I think the same thing is true with investing in money management. Um, make your money. You can make a lot of money in business and entrepreneurship as a professional. And then you give your money that you've accumulated to actual professional money managers. That's how functioning society I mean, because the hardest thing about it is the time it takes to educate yourself and, and watch it and make the right decisions. It's time consuming. Right. 100%. I, I agree. It, it's time consuming. But like I said, I think on this show or a different show, but it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert based on the outliers principle. And if 
you dilute your hours on your job or your career or your profession or your business, you're going to not become an expert. And so you end up being average at both. You end up being an average engineer and you end up being an average investor. I would recommend that you just quit one. If you want to be an investor, invest. If you want to be a business owner, be a business owner. But if you try to have one foot in both, it's like currency says, if you straddle mm-hmm. the fence, you get caught in the barbed wire. I, I want, I, I'm at a point now where it's like, we are so close to being 100% employed by Tide Capital. I cannot wait because you retire yourself, then you get rich. And so once we are retired through whatever source of income retires us, we got so many, I don't even know. Then it's like, I'm 100% Tide Capital. Do you know? What my day looks like if I wake up and all I do is tie capital, it'll, it'll just be nuts. We we own the whole city, and that's where we're headed. So then you're just talking to lenders all day. You're talking to inspectors all day. You're talking to contractors all day. So my goal is to get to the point where I just do 100% tie capital, and people have somebody who does 100% tie capital but gives them a generous return because the people that I work with, they're not they're not getting 10 to 12%. They're getting the big piece of chicken. And we just take a little, tiny little piece mm-hmm. to make sure that we can keep the doors open while they eat, eat well. Yeah. Well, I'm back to the student loans real quick. You said today, uh, depreciation on your first home will handle the student loans, fam. Don't even trip. Don't even trip. <laughs> that's, 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 I feel like that is just my mom's story is just knowing that like if if you do the right stuff things will take care of itself and 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 you pay off certain things not with working income if your goal is to pay off your student loans with your working income you will work until you die but these days you are going to pay off your loans with what's in your head whether that's your your creativity and creating something whether that's you creating a business you investing, you doing whatever. Like you pay off your student loans with your mind, not with your time. And I think that that's what we need to be focused at is what can I create? What can I do? Where can I add value? How can I serve? How can I give that will allow me to knock out these student loans a lot faster than that? Because think about it. You know how easy it is to create an extra 400 bucks a month? It's very easy. You can, you can sell a consulting service. You can create a course. You can do so much stuff. And none of those looks like clocking in. You create it once, you get paid forever. And so I think that we have to really start focusing on on what we're going to do with our mind because that education is valuable. And that's why they charge us so much for because it truly is valuable. There are lawyers in my office. We settle cases for in the millions. And we get 40% of that, 30% of that. We get a big chunk of that. Do you think they have student loan debt? No, they don't have student loan debt. There's a reason why they charge us so much money for these degrees, because they're worth it. A BMW is worth it. A Lexus is worth it. I promise you it was worth it. Not only do they drive better, but they last forever. And so I just want to encourage people to like think differently about your student loans. Um, we we put out we were on this on this crusade the F them loans crusade where somebody would ask like, and it was just interesting because I get this question all the time. And I saw that Asia Denton had got asked this question and the question was, Hey, should I pay off all my student loans before I invest in real estate? And my answer is always no invest now, invest now, figure out the rest later, create cash flow, figure out the rest later, get capital gains, figure out the rest later. I made enough money in the stock market last year to pay off my student loans for undergrad. And it's a repeatable process. And so now we're just doing more to pay off law school, to pay off all this other stuff. But like, if you sit back and you're like, I'm just going to work really hard and pay off these student loans, like you're working to get to zero. You, you're working to get to zero instead of working to get to millions and two million and three million and four million. Like, I feel like that is a huge problem where people aren't creating, they aren't building, they aren't thinking, they aren't investing. They're just like trying to get to zero. Let me go to my job and clock in so I can give you 200 bucks a month. Like that's, that's ridiculous. It's ignorant. And that's a big part of the reason why I got out of the financial advising space is I felt like it was just too technical. It wasn't creative enough. 
It wasn't thoughtful enough. It was just, it, 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 it didn't work for us. My advice works for us. It's not just you need a dollar cost average and do this. It's like, no, bro, you need to find a, a value opportunity. You need to find something that is underpriced. And they're not going to teach you that at Edward Jones. At Edward Jones or Chase Private Client, all that stuff I did before, at Chase, it was strictly mutual funds. Nobody ever got rich in mutual funds. At Edward Jones, it was strictly blue chips, blue chip stocks. Nobody got rich in blue chip stocks. I'm trying to get my people rich. And so that's why I have to think different. I can't just give you straight up basic advice. That's why I'm willing to tell people to invest in the Tulsa real estate fund because we got to do something new, innovative, not something that's been vetted where all the money's been made and now you're just trying to like get a little baby. You know, some people want the beach vacation and some want the beach home. Some people want the beach home. I've always been a beach home type person, man. I would go to the beach and, and I would look at the homes and I would look at the cars driving past and I was like, I don't just want to visit this. I don't just want to see this occasion. I want to live in this. And so for me, I realized like, I don't want a vacation. Nothing about taking a trip, paying a bunch of money to visit somewhere just appeals to me. I would rather work so I can own it. And when I thought of that statement, that Dom Kennedy line came to mind and said, I don't want to borrow. I just want to own it. And I realized like we go on all these trips and you're just renting a life for a week. Like that's just lame to me. Like I, that does, that is not a position of power to me. Like it's just not a position of power to me, especially like the people who glamorize and like, look at me, I'm on a beach. Like I just, I, I have always wanted beachfront property. I've always wanted to see the, look out my, my window and see the ocean, listen to the waves. I just love the beach. It's peaceful. You get a lot of thought thinking done there. I make a lot of strides on the beach. You can clear your mind on the beach, but I just, I'm always looking for a position of power, not for a position of borrowing. So for me, I drew that distinction because I feel like people who get to beach homes aren't out here working a little bit so they can take a trip, so they can work a little bit so they can take a trip. Like the people who live on the beach are the people who commit to the work and they work, 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 work. And then like, dang, I got two million, three million I could throw at this little beach house. But the people who are like shipping here and there so they can scrimp and scrunch and get these little Airbnb vacations, they're never going to get it because they're spending all their capital all their time, all their energy, just trying to get to the beach to take pics for likes. I, I just feel like it's lame. Okay. It's Todd Millie. Getting st- said also, getting started <laughs> in real estate and business is like a train. Hard to get started, a grind to get going, but once you start flowing, the process runs itself. Let's talk about that. So what I've experienced is these days I got a contractor on speed dial. So when I first started real estate investing, the biggest hurdle was in, mm-hmm. it was uh, estimating rehab. Like anybody can go on Zillow and you can see, oh, this price, this house is priced at X. Like that's easy stuff. You can find deals through through Zillow. And when I say deal, I mean you can find homes. But what I found is like the magic happens when you start doing stuff because at that point in time, I bought a house for a thousand dollars at one point, not because of anything, but I already had contacts. And so my contractor was like, Hey, buy this house. It's a thousand dollars. I know you can do the rehab. And so where getting a deal like that would have been almost impossible at year zero it's doable at year two. It's even more doable at year three. And so what happens is it's tough to get going. You don't have any any experience, any knowledge, any skin in the game, any assets. But then once you get going, it speaks for itself. Now I talk to people as somebody who owns seven homes, not somebody who is thinking about owning some homes. I talk to somebody as somebody who's done two rehabs, maybe three rehabs, maybe four rehabs, and somebody who has two and a half years of property management experience under my belt. Like, that is valuable. But what happens is that value compounds because now I'm able to hand over a property management company to my wife. I'm able to create a construction company if I so desire. 
the business runs itself. I get deals. I got people on speed dial. I know brokers. I know other investors. I know contractors. I know lenders. Like I literally like am so far ahead of the game now than where I was before, where I was just guessing and trying to find people and meet people. Like now, people think of Detroit, they think of me. Like I am that inward, but I wasn't always that inward when you think about Detroit. I had to become that. I had to step into that. And so I I tweeted that because it's inspiration for the people who were like, they're starting from zero and they have nothing. And you got to realize that as you get out there and you start doing, opportunities flock to you. I get presented with an opportunity every single day. And so there are people out there and they're saying, ain't no opportunities for black folks. I get an opportunity every single day, every single day to make money. Somebody wants to sell me a hotel. Somebody wants to sell me an apartment building in a, in a, in a storefront. Somebody wanted to sell me, um, I, just, I just get so many deals. Like, so where you're pushing and you're priding and you're asking, and you're telling, and you're seeking, all that stuff pays off. The work that you do is going to pay you. So do the work. It's not for not. If I'm sitting on a conference call with you right now at whatever the hell time it is, what time is it? 10.30, it's going to pay me. But the crazy part about it is it's not just going to pay me. It's going to pay my kids. And so the work that you do outside of your nine to five doesn't just pay you, it pays your kids. And if you think about it that way, you put in the time, you put in the work. We don't lose because we don't have the right ideas. We don't have the manpower. We're just not working. We're not doing it. We're not putting in the energy and the effort knowing it's going to come back. So for people who are over here like, I don't really want to have to start a, a barbershop. I just want the barbershop to run. You're thinking too small. The skills is in doing the work to get the barbershop started because you know what that happens when you get the, the skills of starting a barbershop? Right. You can start a yeah. hundred of them things. It's all the same process. I know how to manage a property. I know how to rehab a property. I know how to find vendors. I know how to do all that stuff. Because I just did the work. I wasn't getting paid for the work, but I did it, and now the work pays me. So I would just say, like, push the. It, it, that's one thing I just realized. It's kind of like, like, like flying a plane. I gave that analogy on social media as well. It's like the hardest parts to take off. After that, you put on autopilot. I'm at a point now where it's like I know the criteria. I need a home that costs boom, 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 boom. That requires boom, boom, boom. And if I can get that, I'll slide right in. If I can get a house that's tenant occupied, I'll slide right in. Especially long term tenant. No rehab, I'll slide right. That's a 100% yield play. We're just we're just collecting checks at that point in time. We're just determining numbers at that point in time. No rehab, no wait. It's a check on the first period. I love it. And everything is uh, you bought everything cash so far, right? We bought everything cash, no debt yet. But the market is opening up, so we can. But I don't feel like we should. I feel like our strategy should be to cash flow out all of our principal. So, like, the, the deal we're working on right now, it's going to require, like, 20000 in rehab, but the goal is to make all that back within the first two years. And then after that, after two years, we have all right. our money back, and we get paid forever. Do the deal once, get paid forever. Not only that, our kids get paid forever. That's why I'm so anti-selling. Every house that we buy is income for our children. Like, that's nuts. It's nuts to me to think that this house that pays us 725 bucks every single month isn't just going to pay me. It's going to pay my kids. That's crazy. You can't do that on the job. My mom works very hard. She makes six figures, but she cannot give me her job. She cannot pass that down to me. But I can pass down every single one of these assets, every single one of these businesses, every single one of these brands. Every single one of these, anything, it all passes down to my kids. So it's worth the work. It's worth the work. So. Hey, that that uh, pay off your student loans with your mind, not your time as a bar, man. I got to mean that. <laughs> that is a bar. I was surprised you didn't say something sooner. Like, yeah, like that. Yeah, man. That's a what bar. Do you, all right, so... You posted you posted a um a story earlier about invest invested purchases are highest on record, making it hard for millennials to purchase their first home. What do you think about that that story? 
I'm not. I'm not sure. Can you, can the, you, um, you, you tweeted out an article. I don't know where it was from. I didn't actually read it. I just read the headline. It was talking about how invest pretty much investors are buying up homes at a record rate, making it harder for millennials to buy their first home. Oh. What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that my initial thought, I'm not sure why I, I, I reposted that, I just thought it was interesting because, um, oh, so the reason why I did it is because I think that it's a lot of investors who are banking on being able to use their homes as rental properties. So the whole multifamily, um, what do you call it? The Right. The bubble. I, I think it's a bubble. And so, that was the reason why we bought single family homes is because it functions as a rental, but it also functions as a potential seller finance, um, which we would then hand over to like a loan financing company. So then we are completely hands off. Say that again because I keep wondering I why it. you're so against multifamily. Like, why? Because Frank Cardone on doors, uh, I'm, I'm putting, a, too much, putting too much into one door. You're relying too much on one source. I am against multifamily because it's a mania. I, I, me being the investor that I am, I'm a value investor. And value investors don't buy what's popular. We specialize in buying what's not popular. So I'm buying Tesla. I'm buying Habit. I'm buying Under Armour. I'm buying things that are overlooked and these principles don't just apply to stocks, they apply to all assets. And so I'm buying Detroit. I'm buying the bad parts of Cleveland. I'm buying the bad parts of Florida because that's where the money is being made. I'm buying the bad parts of Los Angeles. I'm not over here like let me just buy this house in Beverly Hills because if you look at the properties in Beverly Hills, they're sitting on the market forever right now. They're lowering the prices because those markets were over, over, were, uh, overvalued. And so my problem with multifamily is when it becomes very, very popular, it becomes overvalued. I knew that multifamily was overvalued when the cap rates were so low that it literally made no sense to buy it. If you buy a multifamily property in California, your cap rate is around 3%, maybe 4%, and that's being generous. I think it's like 3%. But the problem with that is you can't get a loan for less than 4%. So that means you're buying something to take a loss. That doesn't even make any sense. Economically, financially, it doesn't make any sense to buy something to take a loss. If your interest payment is more than your income, you're actually paying money to own the asset. And so what I found is that and I'm glad we're actually talking about this because what I'm finding is anything, you you can't take advantage of an opportunity if people know it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity when they don't know. And so what I'm finding is people are even buying homes to house hack. They're like, I'm just gonna buy this house. It's a duplex, I'm gonna rent it out and I'm gonna live for free. Like, yeah, that makes sense until they start pricing it in. I have a friend, she's a realtor in Chicago my BFF, Rashawn Scott, what she did is she had somebody who put a bid in for, I want to say like a duplex with the goal of house hacking it. This is in Chicago. And they got into a bidding war. And so they ended up losing the house because of the bidding war, which is already a sign of a bubble. And so people are already buying these homes with the mindset of, I'll just rent it out. And so the people who lost that house, they're like, well, let's just go buy a bigger house now. Let's just go find something because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not going to pay because blah, blah, blah. But it's like, can you afford to pay for that house hack if you have no tenant? And that's when bubbles burst. When you bought a house because you're going to house hack it. And when you would have bought a house because you're going to Airbnb it. And so the values shoot up and you're over here overpaying for something, thinking you can Airbnb it. And then somebody swoops in. They're saying, oh, we're passing these laws that are going to restrict Airbnb so you can't Airbnb it. And so now you overpaid on a house that you can't afford because you're counting on Airbnb or you're counting on a house hack. 
or you're counting on rent to continue to grow up. Like, I don't, I feel like it's principleless investing. And when you don't have principles in your investments, if you're just following trends, if you're just doing what Brandon Turner told you to do, you're going to lose. I told somebody on the show that I recorded before this is you got to know what Brandon Turner knows, not what Brandon Turner says. And that's what people don't get about me is you only know what I say. You don't know what I know. You don't know the con law, the torts, the evidence, the criminal procedure, the NBA classes, the economics classes, the NBA classes, the finance classes that I've sat through, the podcasts I've listened to, the books that I've read. You don't know that. You only know that little one gym that I tweet out. You don't know the foundation of that gym. You don't know the sentence, sentences that came before and after that gym. You only know what I said. And so that's why I see people go out there and they take a little bit of stuff that I know, but they're not even thinking like, I'm on hotel levels now. I'm over here looking at eight units, 24 units. I'm over here looking at buying whole companies. I'm over here reaching out to people who actually own their own barbershop company, like, hey, let's work together. And I have the value to actually present that image to somebody who you want to work with. Like, you got to realize, like, I, I, I does this. I'm not just somebody who just knows a little bit of information. And so... No, I this is asking your thoughts on that, on that story about um, investing investors buying up all the homes at a record right. rate. So the reason why I posted it is it's just a sign of the times. It's a sign of people thinking that we're going to be continuing to be a renter's market. And I always tell people, like, America is not a renter nation. We are an ownership nation. We are a wealth nation. We are a wealth-building nation. So people will rent for a meantime, but they immediately hop into home ownership because nobody wants to rent long-term. And that's why I posted that because I think it's misguided. I think it's just, just a sign that investors are doing the right thing. Just because they're investors and they have money doesn't mean yeah. they make the right decisions. But now you say that about America is an ownership uh, country. I think it's funny how people keep thinking, you know, every, every, I want to say every five years, but it's like pretty much every year, it's always like people are always telling you this is the new way things are going to be. Home, like home ownership is dead. Mm-hmm. This is dead. That is dead. From now on, this is the way people are going to do it from now on. I said the old ways are dead. Mm-hmm. But the old ways are still here, really. Like, it's, you know. It, it, it's interesting. I'll tell I, you, I, like, I you, know, you know, nobody buys a house. That's that's an old way of thinking. Like you're not gonna. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna get you wealth. Like they all they all copy uh, what Grant Cardone says. You know, rent where you live, right? On what you can rent out. You know, but they don't have Grant Cardone money. But and the funny thing is, mm-hmm. they 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 quote his stuff, but they're not doing what he's doing. Rent you're renting, and you still don't have something to rent right. out. I don't. Right. I think that um, Grant Cardone is a salesman and his goal is to sell you on some things. He might be right about multifamily, but I just, I just I mean, the one thing that I will say about Grant Cardone and multifamily is he's not buying class A multifamily and he's also not buying in markets where they're building a bunch of stuff. Um. So I would say that in that regard, I, I think that his strategy is good. It's sound, it's intelligent, it's informed. But the idea that you're just going to buy multifamily and not buy multifamily intelligently, like Grant Cardone is, I think is misinformed. I'm looking at multifamily, but I'm looking at multifamily and value markets. I found an eight unit for a very, very good price. And so I sent my contractor uh, a question. I was like, how much can I get this house rehab for? Or this, not this, this house, but this, this eight unit rehab for? He hasn't responded yet, but I'll find out soon. But I feel like you got to always be a value investor despite the asset. So multifamily, whatever, whatever the asset, you got to always buy value. Always buy value. That's what wholesalers do. Wholesaling is just buying value. They go, they know how much it's worth, and they offer you half. That is value. So for me, I think that the multifamily sector, if you buy it intelligently, can be smart, but I'd rather just avoid it altogether because the problem with it is there are people, what they're doing, and this is the crazy part about Grant Cardone, 
is we all talk about how much money he's making, but is he really making that money or is he really just creating debt? Because a lot of what people are doing is they're buying these homes, they're forcing up the rents, and then they're refinancing. And so they refinance and take all their money out. And they're like, I got all my money out. I'm going to go buy another thing. This is what, what's going on with the bird people. But the problem is, is you got a mortgage, bro. You got a mortgage. And what happens when rent's correct? What happens when the market corrects? What happens when people decide they don't want to rent anymore? And we're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing places that are offering concessions. They're saying, oh, rent here, you get two months free. You get two months free parking. You get this, 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 this. They're doing everything but discount the rent when what they should be doing is discounting the rent. And so it's a smoke and mirrors game right now. And what's going to happen is the market's going to have to, it's going to fall out. You can only discount it so much to get people in. They, I, I work in downtown LA. We have so many units that are just sitting there vacant. They built all these luxury apartments that nobody can afford. And they're justifying their valuations on the luxury prices. And so what happens is when they have to lower the price, the valuations plummet, and then they're upside down. And then they can't, they're not profitable. And then they're losing money every single month. They're just being gouged money. And then they're like, F this shit. I got to go. I'm not just, I, I'm out of money. I can't lose any more money. And then the market falls out. And then all the rental income properties fall out. And so that's what kind of scares me is people who are uninformed mm-hmm. trying to get into the rental market. You got to be smart. You got to be informed. You got to be educated. Yeah, because you got to be careful listening to people. He says one thing, but you don't, People are people aren't paying attention to everything he says. Like, like he 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 talks. Like he doesn't like Wall Street. He doesn't like investing in stocks. He doesn't like Wall Street. But if you listen to him, I mean, stuff he says makes sense. But his plan, he if you notice, he, his plan when he says he wants to become a billionaire, his plan is to take all this real estate and pack. He says he plans to package it all up. And take it to Wall Street. Hmm. So mm-hmm. you gotta be careful when you listen to people. You gotta pay attention to everything right. they say, because he'll say like, "Save." It doesn't make sense to right. save money. And then if people ask him for advice, the first thing he tells them to do is park it in the bank until you got enough to invest. <laughs> so is saving not good? Right. Like, you gotta be careful, man. Yep. I listen to a lot of Grant Cardone. I'm very well well versed on the Grant Cardone theories. I just got tired of hearing his philosophy on real estate. Like, I kind of like when he talks about other stuff besides real estate because I feel like his real estate strategy is self-serving. It helps him buy more units. It doesn't necessarily liberate you. Yeah, I mean, you get a check from him. If you, if you, if you invest with him, you, you get a check. <laughs> I don't want a check, man. I am glad we we just said this. Is I don't think real estate is just about the money. Real estate is about control. Real estate is about power. Real estate is about say so. And what frustrates me is we have these communities that we don't own the businesses in. We don't dictate what goes on in the council. We don't dictate in the uniformity of the community. We don't dictate what happens with the security of the community. And I feel like Detroit is the new black Mecca. We just got to continue to put more money into it and more effort and more energy into it. If it's going to become safe and clean, we got to do it. And if we got to hire some homeless people and put them to work to get them secure and in patrol in the community, we got to do it. But that's the kind of thought energy that needs to happen. And so for me, it's like, we just got to, we got to become the solution to all these problems. And we got to, and, and that's where the wealth is. The wealth is in solutions. The wealth is not in complaining. Wealth is in the solutions. Yeah. So, somebody um, on Twitter asked you to elaborate on a tweet. You said four, four more years of Trump and we will yes. be straight. Man, we have been doing so many great things under Trump. I know everybody sees it. We're, we're, the podcast, the investments, the business ownership, the support, the love. This hasn't always existed. We can act like we've just always been supporting each other and always been promoting business ownership on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and that would be a lie because 
when Obama was in office, all you knew about was social justice this and social justice that. Nobody even cared about business and, and entrepreneurship. But since Trump has been in office, the focus has been so heavy on business ownership and investing in real estate. It, it just blown my mind because like, for me, one of the most frustrating things about like this whole political campaign is people will hear me say I'm voting for Trump and they'll automatically associate it with bigotry and racism and feminine and sexism and all these different things. But it was never that. I just wanted us to get to this place. And I knew that having a pro-business, pro-real estate, pro-entrepreneurship president would get us there. Like this has always been my plan to get a bunch of us functioning as business owners and entrepreneurs, because that is how you close the wealth gap. And I'm not just telling you you close the wealth gap that hypothetically, that is how every community that comes to America closes, closes the wealth gap through business and entrepreneurship, through group, group economics, through working together. And so what frustrates me is we can't see that. For some reason, we think that like, oh, well, that stuff can work for everybody else, but now nah, we need reparations, bro. We need that free check. That's the only way we can do it with the free check. Like, no, there are agents who come here and they work bullshit jobs and they save their money and they don't spend money and they flip it into a business. That's what Gary V's parents did. Everybody wants to act like, oh, eight Jews got reparations. Asians got reparations. No, Gary V's dad came here. They lived very, very cheap. They lived as though they were broke, even though they had money. And they saved their money up and they bought a liquor store. There, when I was in law school, there was that story about the girl who in Oakland, she got shot by the Asian store owner. And I read their story and they came to America. They worked in downtown LA in some little sweatshop and they just saved their pennies and they built their own business. And so basically what I'm saying is that if we get four more years of Trump, we get four more years of feeling like the government's not coming to save us, we'll do well because we don't need the government to save us. We need us to save us. There's more of us than there is more of the government. There's one government, there's millions of us. All we need is us to get on one accord. If we can get us to get on one accord, supporting each other, buying from each other, building each other's business up, banking with each other, investing with each other, doing all these things we're already doing, we would win. But I would hate for us to get a democratic president and then the conversation all of, all of a sudden shifts over to reparations. And the reason why I don't want the conversation to shift over to reparations is because every single time that we get a government-based solution, the people who are elite win. The people who are not elite just get further and further behind. If you look at, I, I just, um, in Ashcash, he wrote this book and he was talking about how when integration happened, it effectively allowed the elite to leave the community. Oh. He called it brain drain, where you take the most intelligent people from that community and then they're left with the most ignorant. And I feel like the community struggles. I was in, I was in Watts one day. I was like, this community needs me. Like the community struggles because they don't have people like me. And I'm not saying that I'm somebody, but we need people like me. We need people who think the way I think who are willing to put in the work, put in the effort, come up with creative solutions but instead, I live in Randall Cookamonk. I live in the suburbs. I live amongst people who don't even look like me. But imagine if I lived in Watts. I'll be walking around like, no, this is unacceptable. Like, get this shit together, man. We need more police presence. We need to do this. We need to do that. I have so much creative thought and energy that can be applied to, the, to those communities. But instead, I'm out here in the suburbs. And so, and that's true for other people who look like me who are in my situation, who I've gone to college with and gone to law school with and whatever. And so what I'm telling people is, like, we don't need the government to save us. All we need to do is save us. And the problem is, if you allow the government to do that, you lose. Not only do you lose because they tend to put in policies that, like, look like progress that aren't really progress, but you lose because, in a lot of ways, you give them the ability to profit off of your solution. So I just, I just, I feel like Trump, is so great because he, he just doesn't give a F. But also what people don't realize is he's bringing back industry. The reason why investing in areas like the Rust Belt, Detroit, Ohio makes sense is because Trump is on purpose bringing back those jobs. 
And what people don't realize is a lot of people will turn their nose up and they'll say, well, I don't need no job that is going, I don't need no trade like that. I don't want no low-level jobs. That's that one dude says, like, we need, we need professional jobs. We need academic jobs. Like, you idiot. Those jobs build communities. Those jobs built the middle class. The reason why there's so much black home ownership in South Los Angeles is because the factories are there, because they're a middle-class job. Like, people make good money working for Ford. People make good money working for GM. But we're over here turning our nose up at it, and you know what happens? Is I got a ride pass on the train, dude sitting there doing nothing. Dude's just riding around in the train. I got on the train today. I was scared from my, every time I get on the train, I'm like, I hope this, this brother doesn't try to get me. I hope this brother doesn't try to take my bag. And it's not because they can't get high level executive jobs, it's because they can't get no job. Right. And that's what frustrates me is like these jobs are skilled. If you go and you do plumbing or electrician or even even like like slaves. Like slaves, they might not have been the smartest or whatever, but they knew how to uh, grow some crops. And those skills allowed them to still be valuable to the community after slavery was passed. These days, folks don't know how to do nothing but be security guards. And so they just go sit there, sit there at a desk and call themselves security guards. And downtown, that's what they do, security guards. It, it's frustrating because I feel like people just, they don't get it. And I think they don't get it because they don't know enough about enough. Most people who challenge me want me to educate them. They're not over here actually bringing something to the table. They're literally like telling me to teach them. And I hope you're going to ask me that question about that one dude who mentioned about, um, he was like, oh, so you're saying buy uh, things 100% finance, right, but you're also saying ownership. And I was like, and so I was like, bro, like, I feel like you don't even know what you're talking about because how can you even how can you even separate the two? Just because you buy something with debt doesn't mean you don't own it. Grant Cardone always says he has no debt except right. that which is paid for others. And I was reading this book by Robert Kiyosaki called Why the Rich Get Richer. And he mentioned something that I love. And it's a strategy that I plan to employ. And the strategy is this. Basically, if you want to become a millionaire, what you do is you take on a million dollars worth of real estate debt and you let tenants pay it off. And then 10 years from now, you own a million dollar asset with no debt on it. And when I read that, I was like, that's mind blowing because it has nothing to do with cash flow. It has nothing to do with appreciation. All you need is for your tenants to make sure they pay the rent. That's it. You don't need, I don't need any extra sauce. Just pay off the house. And that's what Brandon Turner did for his daughter. He, he, he bought a triplex and he put on the 18 year mortgage. And he was like, all I want for this house to do is pay itself off. I don't even care about the cash flow. The cash flow comes, but I don't even care. And if you get the cash flow, just pour it back into paying off the debt. And so when the guy made that comment, I was like, I feel like you're you're like you're not asking, you're not, you're not challenging this thought. What you're doing is you want me to teach you. And so he thinks that just because there's debt that you don't own it. And that's not necessarily true. Ownership is as much about power and control as it is it being free and clear. He sounded like well, a Dave Ramsey person to me. I mean, and I was like, bro, like this is. I don't know. I feel, I feel like Dave Ramsey get a bad rap sometimes, but. <laughs> I like Dave Ramsey. I really do. I'm a Dave Ramsey fan. I love uh, his baby steps. I live by those baby steps. But what I'm saying is, like, there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. And I didn't want to have to have this cliche conversation with this guy because I felt like it just really cliche. But the principle holds true. There's debt that pays you and there's debt you pay for. If you buy a portfolio that cash flows and you have debt on it, that's good debt. And the 100% finance principle actually is so deep that what they're actually saying is if you can buy something 100% financed and in a lot of instances, what Juan Pablo's 100% finance strategy looks like is you put up 10%, maybe through a partner, you finance 80%, but then you have the seller actually take back a 10% note. And so they discount their price and then you just pay them over time through the cash flow. You can buy whatever you want. But the thing is, if you have all these assets 
and you happen to lose them and you got to file bankruptcy, then you've got to file bankruptcy. And ideally, you'd be doing it through an entity. So you wouldn't be filing personal bankruptcy. That The entity would be filing bankruptcy. And what I remember is there's this quote from this book. It is Wealth Choice. And I'll never forget this quote. I highlighted it. And the quote is this. He said that if you aren't rich or you haven't gone bankrupt by your 30th birthday, you're not really trying. And most of us aren't trying because we're afraid of going bankrupt. But I told people, I was like, all bankrupt is, is a legal judgment that you're broke. A lot of y'all <laughs> broke without the legal judgment. A lot of y'all bankrupt right now. It's a lot of folks that are bankrupt. They just don't have the, the, the legal judgment saying that they're bankrupt. But people are so afraid, of, I'm, I'm going to go bankrupt. Like, you already are bankrupt. Or you broke. You can't let it to your kids. Wow. At least try. Well, let's 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 take this back for a second because um, first of all, let's let's go back to the post on Instagram that that sparked that, right. that whole conversation. Uh, what was the what was the post again? About hundred percent. What was the post again? It, it said something. It said something along the lines of like. If you can finance an asset 100%, there's no limit to what you can buy. Right. You can buy, you can as buy much deals as you want, all day or something like that. And then he jumps in with the, he, he, sees, he sees you on social media talking about ownership, 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 but now you're talking about 100%. Mm-hmm. And that he's like, which one is it? So my, my thing was, <laughs> first of all, before I even thought about that, is like, that's like, the, the the argument people keep putting up for um home ownership, right? I see sometimes you people talk about it's important to own a home, and people come in with like, not everybody wants to own a home, and you don't, and then they say you don't even own it until you paid it off, and even when you pay it off, it's property taxes, so it's never really yours. Which is kind of lame, like that's a pretty mm. argument, right? But when I saw him say that, yeah. saying like which one is it, like first thing I thought of is. They say there's a quote that um, goes something like, "Intelligence is being able to hold two contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time." And I wanted to ask him, like, you does everything that come out of your mouth is exactly the same at all times? Like, does every single thing agree completely with everything else that you said before in your life? Like, like people say, uh, <laughs> "Look before you leap." But then they also say, he who hesitates is lost. So which one is it? Mm-hmm. Are you supposed to think first? Yeah. Or are you supposed to just jump into stuff? There's times when it make, each makes sense. Exactly. There's, and I feel like that's one of the most difficult things about... There's this, there's this uh, currency, he has this quote, and basically what he's saying is like, oh man, he doesn't really worry about the critics or something because they're just waiting to see him contradict himself. What did he say? Oh man, I wish I could think of the line. Um, but basically, people are just, people are watching to see me contradict myself, but they don't realize that like, life isn't black and white. Life is a lot of gray. So what I say might be true in one instance, but right. it might not be true in a different instance. Um, and so that's what I said. Like, that's when I realized, like, there are a lot of people who don't really know this stuff. They're just looking for cues. They're looking for you to teach them. They're looking for you to tell them, like, this is the way. So then when you do tell them something different, they're like, well, what you just said that it, you just said that the sky is blue, but right now it's black. <laughs> well, brother, right now it's nighttime. Okay. Like, when the sun comes up, it'll be blue again. So take this gym right. as you take this gym. But, like, I get that all the time. Like, oh, grass is green. Oh, it's not green right now. Right now it's yellow. Like, bro, like, that's because it's summertime, okay? And that's one of my biggest frustrations. But what I'm finding is, like, people don't, aren't really looking for me to, they're looking for me to teach them what I know. And I don't really have the, the time to teach everybody all these things. But what I will say is that those two things are completely unrelated. To say that you don't own it 
unless you own it 100% free and clear, is, I think, ignorant. Because there's a lot of people in this America, United States, that's always tell people, like, the reason why it's called net worth is because the debt is implied. They measure wealth in this United States by net worth, not by asset value, because the debt is implied. The school that you go to has debt on it. The home that you live in has debt on it. The car you drive has debt on it. Almost everything in America has debt on it. The United States has debt on it. And so for me, I'm, I, my goal is to always exhaust the debt. But if you can use debt to acquire it, then by all means, a lot of people aren't acquiring assets. It's not even so much that they just like can't afford it. People back in the day, they weren't left property because they didn't have the access to capital. Not because it didn't make sense to take out loans, but because they couldn't get the loan in the first place. And so loans are not your problem. Using loans intelligently is a problem. Yeah, I mean, he's a brain sometimes. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's, it's frustrating because people, and this is why I had this conversation on another podcast, and I was like, I just, I just cut people now. I was like, if you don't get it, I'm only going to spend my time bringing you to my level. You're not necessarily adding value to the conversation. You're trying to be educated. You're trying to make sense of what I'm saying. But I would appreciate it more if they just said, like, hey, I have no idea what you're talking about. Instead of saying, like, well, this is wrong because you just said this. But then again, I also don't like when people tell me to expand on stuff because I don't have time to expand on everything. But my point is that, like, he's over here. He's not even debating with me. He's debating with Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo's already, that quote I took from a book that mm-hmm. I was reading. I told you everything has a source. I literally copied and pasted that from Juan Pablo's book. Somebody who cash flowed himself out of his nine to five and then create a successful million dollar business on top of that. And so like one thing I tell people is like real estate is just a piece. My theory is that you got to have a successful business in line with your real estate to protect your real estate. And that's one thing I respect about Juan Pablo or Jay Morrison or Aisha Selden is Aisha Selden has a successful business and career with or without the real estate. If the real estate market turns on her, she has a successful business and career that can save her her, her whatever. And so for me, I'm building both a real estate portfolio and a business portfolio. And so they work together. They simultaneously uh, watch each other. Yeah, which is funny, man. Just, it's like you're just arguing to argue or something. Like... Right. And it was funny. So I, went to, goal I went to his or her or whoever it was because you, you couldn't tell by the name. I went to his page. Nothing, I saw nothing there. And I thought, I, I mean, my right. Instagram is a private page because it's all personal, whatever. But I, at first, I thought it was a private page like mine. And then I just realized he had no posts. <laughs> people just pop up to argue, man. It's so weird. But I think some of the times, like people who I block create accounts so they can still kind of follow me. <laughs> it's really weird. They just want to troll you. Uh, follow you around and argue and talk about you must have been lame in high school. That's the worst. <laughs> I, I was lame in high school, but I actually was still dope in high school. But I don't really count that. I feel like high school is lame anyway. A lot of the people in high school that I went to high school with didn't really amount to like much. A song, like, in high school, you was the man, homie. Right, and now they all hit me up. Now, all the people that I went to high school with, like, man, can you help me? Can you, can you give me some advice? Like, bro, like, I thought you I thought you had it, man. But I feel like when I was in high school, I went to a, a unique school where there were kids on both sides of the tracks. And so I didn't fit in with the kids on the other side of the tracks. And I thought that that made me, like, not good enough. When in actuality... That's kind of why I ended up doing okay in life. Yeah. Any other tweets that we got to talk ah, about before I think, we wrap it up? I think that's about it for, for this week. I think we can wrap this up. Let me just ask you really quick. Did the um nice. did you lease did you lease out the uh, the mobile barbershop yet? 
So, um, not yet. We're in talks with somebody. We're in talks about repairing the shop and getting it to where it needs to go. But what I did is I actually made contact with the dude who has that mobile barbershop franchise in London. And I kind of told him our situation. And so I'm looking to partner with him in the sense that we might co-brand and utilize their technology because they do it all through an app. So if we could do something like that, we'd be in good shape. Because our goal, and what I was telling somebody, I think I might have told you on this, that comes with that and the connections that come with that, that is what makes you successful. And so for me, we're not looking just to do one shop. We're like, this is just, we're going to be able to take a picture of this and say, like, this is the first one. This is what did it right here. This little ugly barbershop it looks cool on the inside, but not so much on the outside. Like, this set it off for us. And so I'm I'm thinking, like, let's get five, ten of these. And so I made, made contact with him. Haven't leased it out yet, but we're getting very close. But what part of me, what I want to do is I'm not even so big on having somebody lease out the whole shop as much as I am kind of interested in just starting our own barber business. Like, I just want to I want to hire the barbers directly, man. So that's kind of where I am. I'm that kind of a guy. Cause you probably skip the middleman. It's probably going to be hard skip to find the middleman, like a guy that said. wants to print it out himself and, and then turn around and get barbers under him. Uh, maybe we've been finding somebody who who already has a shop, and so it'll just function as an extension of their shop. So, like, they already have the barbers, they already have the clientele. At that point, they're just putting X barbershop on gotcha. this corner. So, I mean, it makes sense for them. It's just, I mean, I kind of right. wanna, I kind of wanna participate in the upside, you know. I don't know. I'm a businessman, <laughs> not a business man, or whatever you say. I'm a business. I don't know what you said. So, on that note. We're going to wrap this up. This week of Tweet Talk. I look I look, I look, forward to seeing what you choose to turn into clips. Yeah. Those are exciting. You're going to get them out. Like, You're get that, them was, out. that was kind of fire right there. So, let's wrap this up. This is Raphael and Charles with Tweet Talks. Signing out. Signing out. Check us out. www.capitalside.com. Capital. Backslash Todd Capital.